so we are now on episode 8, if you can believe it, uh, on the Glimpsing the Glory of God series. This is on the topic of holiness. And uh, Jerry, I've been looking forward to this one because I think this particular attribute of God trips up more Western American Christians than almost any other one. So why don't you kind of tell us, uh, get us into the subject of the holiness of God. Okay, well, uh, the holiness of God is primarily um, emphasized in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament also talks over and over about the love of God and his loving kindness. And the New Testament primarily emphasizes the love of God, but it also gets in uh, to the holiness of God. But what the Old Testament does is it reveals uh, the holiness of God, and in doing that, it necessarily also reveals the sinfulness of man. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it also, and this is very significant, even though uh, the ceremonial and uh, Levitical uh, rules about sacrifice and all that no longer apply because they're fulfilled with Jesus, nevertheless, they do give us an understanding about how we approach God. And mm-hmm. that we we don't just you know dash in full of sin and approach God now. Why don't you why don't you take like just thirty seconds? Because a lot of us you know we grew up away from the graphic nature of the sacrificial system, and it's just, it's a foreign concept to me growing up in America. Why don't you just take thirty seconds a little bit, just articulate if you grew up in Israel under the Mosaic Law, mm-hmm. and you know, you have these these sins in your family that you got to deal with. What what was it like prior to Jesus trying to deal with the problem of sin and relating to God? Well, they understood uh, a holy God and the various uh, regulations that they went through were designed to instruct them on how serious it was to come into the presence of a holy God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even today, uh, we're really in that situation we don't follow regulations like that but for example Hebrews twelve twenty says we approach him uh, we always approach him with reverence and awe that, mm-hmm. that never changes I mean and part of the sacrificial system was designed not it's not all of it but it was designed to get people to understand that you approach a holy God in reverence and awe and the system of clean and unclean was, was designed to get people to understand the difference between holiness and sin. In one sense, you can say the sacrificial system, the Levitical system, was a tremendous parable mm-hmm. uh, of what Jesus would ultimately do. You know, the, the, it's a picture, if you will, mm-hmm. or a parable of the real thing. You know, that God is holy and we're sinful and God is trying to get folks to understand how serious that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they would have understood that in in the days before Christ. They would have understood the seriousness of approaching a holy God and making sure that you had been cleansed of your sin in the way that system allowed that to be done. But, of course, Hebrews tells us it wasn't a complete cure. It wasn't a... It was a temporary. Uh, it was a temporary. It was a band-aid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, it did present the picture of coming into the presence of a holy God and what's necessary. And we, and we see this all. I mean, when when God is talking to Moses on the mountain, and the mountain is rumbling, and the people are watching what's happening on the mountain, and just 
you can you can just feel the fear of them wondering, you know, can we handle a God like this? Or you've got the Ark of the Covenant, you know, which is the the box that God told the people of Israel to create for him as they're walking it up the hill towards Jerusalem under King David. And then, you know, he told them to carry it on poles and they weren't obeying him and they had it on a cart. And, and a servant reaches up to, to touch the ark. Just that, that touch, he falls down dead. Mm-hmm. And, and just certain snapshots all through the Old Testament where you, you get close to God and you just get surprised by how holy and, and powerful this God really is. Yeah, he flexes and he doesn't flex. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably more flexible than the rest of us, but when it comes to violating his his law he he doesn't flex no uh interestingly enough uh david carrying bringing that ark up the first time to jerusalem in an ox cart where'd he get that idea i suspect from the philistines Hmm. because in first samuel 4 that's how after they captured the ark that's how it got back to that's how they sent it back was an ox cart they but you don't see any of the philistines dropping dead when they obviously picked it up put it in interesting they didn't know any better yeah uh they were kindergarten but the Jews knew better. They knew uh, about it. So that's so he hmm. flexes, but he doesn't flex. So his kindness can can come out when when people don't know who they're dealing with. Yeah, and and even so, his he's he's loving and kind in his holiness because to be unholy, he knows is damaging to us. Mm. You know, it, it hurts us not to be uh, as he is, and so that's what he's trying to get us to understand through the Old Testament. Now, it's it's very specifically expressly shown us in the New Testament mm-hmm. uh, through what Christ did. But there are various aspects to his holiness. I mean, it's, it's not just a blur out there. There's certain ways you can see aspects of his holiness. Why don't you kind of break apart, you know, and you're trying to define this word holiness of God. What, what really is the holiness of God? Well, it you can look at it from two aspects. You can look at it from the positive aspect and from the negative aspect. The positive aspect would be that God's absolute purity. Hmm. Uh, and when we talk about uh, his purity, what we mean is that uh, he is his purity is complete. It's an undiluted wholeness. Uh, it has no adulteration or dross in it. Hmm. Uh, it is He is completely totally pure um, at one point I know I've said that if we were to say God is good most of the time he wouldn't be good mm-hmm. because his goodness his purity is total complete all the time there's there's no there's no temporary lapse he's and that's what's different pure. about like our human holiness you know like my wife when she says clean the kitchen my standards are a little different for clean the kitchen than hers and i'm like it looks pretty clean she's like honey did you even move the things on the counter to clean behind them and and you know i think i think mean i i think when i think of holiness it's hard to imagine a holiness that is uninterrupted you mentioned dross i think a lot of people don't know what what dross is, you know, can you, can you explain kind of the purification process with dross? And- well, you think of dross in the terms of purifying ore. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the agricultural equivalent is chaff. Sure. Um, you know, uh, there is an 
there is an unclean part of ore that you know gold for example mm-hmm. you want to get the or silver you want to get the dross out the the part that's unclean you burn that out uh, with tr- chaff you you know the in the old days they would throw it up in the air the wheat up in the air the wind would blow and the wind would blow away the chaff and because it was uh, real light but the the real wheat would fall back into mm-hmm. the pan. One of the things that Scripture often does, both Old Testament and New Testament, is they compare God's purity to light. Hmm. Uh, and the result is, for example, First uh, John one five says, "This is the message that we have received and that we give to you: that God is light, and there is no darkness in Him. Hmm. And so, darkness can't exist in the presence of light." So if darkness were dross, it can't, or chaff, it can't function. It would disappear. It yeah. disappears in the presence of light because it's total. It's, mm. The light is pure. There's not dark light and that sort of thing. It is yeah. absolutely pure. So the scripture oftentimes uses light as, a, as an analogy or a metaphor for God's purity in that aspect of his holiness. So the positive is God's holiness is is his purity of standards, his purity of sinlessness. It's it's you know we we cannot suspect he's got hidden motives. You know that he might have something inside of him that's not godly. But we get to know that in every part of God's actions and words and plans for us and plans for the universe is all holy because it comes from god and yeah and absolutely pure you know first timothy six ten, i think says god dwells in unapproachable light hmm. and um you know it's christ righteousness is imputed to us mm-hmm. and uh the, paul says in ephesians 5 8 9 for you were darkness but now you are light mm-hmm. so we've been brought into this relationship of purity uh, that God's holiness is through Christ. Uh, we we have been forgiven of our sin, and we've been given His righteousness. So mm-hmm. we we are considered pure. Ephesians one talks about the fact that we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless mm-hmm. in His sight. So uh, we now enter into that light, uh, as it as it's put. But if we don't understand how high God's holiness is, we kind of say, "Oh, yeah, I'm holy like God's holy." Isn't I mean, isn't everyone holy? And we, you have to imagine the huge wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus on the cross, and say, the reason why that wrath was poured out was because God had a just standard that had to be met mm. for all the sin before Jesus and after Jesus and he can't just wink at sin he can't just you know pronounce a word you know, it's interesting you know why do you think it is that God couldn't just pronounce a word you know when Jesus is saying to his dad you know if you could have me not experience the cross mm-hmm. you know in the garden of Gethsemane mm-hmm. why why do you think it is that God's justice required suffering and the wrath to be poured out well because God's justice requires that their that sin be dealt with. Um, he can't just say, "Well, I'll look the other way." Never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, his wrath, which is the negative aspect of his holiness, mm-hmm. uh, and that is his, he is absolutely uh, against sin, mm-hmm. uh, and his wrath is his indignation 
um, against sin. Uh, he, he, his holiness is utterly separated from sin. Hmm. But his holiness also demands, and the justice uh, of God's holiness demands that sin actually be dealt with. It, he ultimately doesn't sweep it under the carpet. His justice won't allow that to happen. It has to be dealt with. And I mean, you're an attorney. You you would, at some level, you would want a judge that didn't wink at sin. You would want a judge that fall was a righteous judge the year before. And so, um, I mean, I think some of us are, are caught up sometimes in saying, God, I, I don't understand this level of, of wrath, um, some of the pictures we see of how Israel suffered when they sinned against God, when they fought other gods. I mean, God allowed some really hard things. To, mm-hmm. I mean, Israel was enslaved in Egypt at one point because of some of the the sin in, in the nation. Um, you know, but why is it that we may want that? I mean, why would we want God not to wink at sin? Well, if... If you ignore sin, like from our standpoint, if you ignore crime, Mm -hmm. if you don't do anything about it, it Mm -hmm. gets worse. If you ignore sin, uh, sin will only increase. Um, That's what it does. Mm -hmm. And it undermines order. So when you have a legal system, let's say, that winks at lawlessness, Mm -hmm. then the order of that society is in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there is no basis for uh, setting order in place because crime is allowed to continue. Sin is the same way. Crime is ultimately a sin. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that we call sin that violate God's law that don't violate, let's say, municipal law right, or state law or right. federal law. But nonetheless, sin and crime are the same thing. Uh, and if it's not dealt with, it only increases. That's the only way it, it can be. That's why God can't wink at that and say, mm-hmm. well, never mind. We'll, we'll start over and try again uh, because, there was because one, it will only increase. There was one story I saw recently in a documentary where this man was put in jail, and later they found out that he didn't do the crime. But what made it a hard story was the police at the time the man was being prosecuted were told that another man had actually done the crime. And uh, the police did not, they kind of winked at it and, and didn't follow through on what their righteous responsibility was. And so as a result, because the police and the judges involved did not do the right thing and did not um, go after the, the real sin, this man who committed the first crime went on to commit multiple crimes against other people uh, again and again. And I, I think that's, just one reason why we, even in an earthly view, with earthly judges, we don't want our judges winking at sin and ignoring sin. And so, of course, we don't want our heavenly judge, who uh, is holy and just in all his actions, to ignore the sin of the world. Well, it would be contradictory to who he was, yeah. or who he is, and it, it, in a way, it would be kind of frightening. Yeah, absolutely. To realize that, you, that God is not consistent all the time Mm -hmm. sometimes he's got favorites and sometimes he lets them get by with stuff that he doesn't let other people get by with um that would be completely contrary to who he is Mm -hmm. he's no uh he he's no respecter of persons in that sense Mm -hmm. he doesn't love certain people more than he loves others and so he he doesn't do that i know i told you the story of the 
of a judge in, a, in our court system here who was shown without a doubt that one of the parties before him had committed perjury, and yet he refused mm-hmm. to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And the word got around that you could get away with things in his court. It impaired his authority mm-hmm. uh, to function because he allowed uh, lawlessness uh, mm-hmm. to go unpunished in his court. And, you know, take that higher to the Lord himself. Well, we kind of look at how God protects the church in Acts with Ananias and Sapphira and other places. And he says, you know, we can't let word get around that you can do anything um, and and pretend like I'm not holy. And and so God really does care about his reputation and his church and his his holiness. And, And so we need to take him seriously when he... When he, when he says those things. When, when we say that he is, um, we define his holiness in terms of negative and positive, then those uh, two aspects, those two aspects of the definition manifest themselves in two ways, too. One is righteousness and the other is justice. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about justice a little yep. bit when we got into the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Righteousness is the way in which God responds to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything he does with us he does, is right in mm-hmm. what he does. Um, and his law is uh, sets out the demands that he has for us. So our conduct in the sense of walking in relation to his law is what we would call righteousness on our on our side mm-hmm. uh, so that is sort of uh, if you if you will legislative holiness in other words he has set down the law uh, and this reflects righteousness mm-hmm. uh, in in the way in which we obey his law and what he demands of us when we violate his law then that aspect of his holiness called justice, which uh, deals with violations of his law, comes Mm -hmm. into play, judicial holiness, if you will. Like one we were talking about in our last week in my home group, we were talking about how, uh, you know, when you're a husband, God has commanded husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. Um, And when we choose to not follow God's law to live with our wives in an understanding way, then our prayers are hindered. Right. Uh, from from reaching him, and that there's these natural consequences, and then in that situation, there's even a spiritual consequence of those actions that he doesn't just well, you know, you know, Jonathan just was having a bad day, so we'll just kind of wink at that. No, he needs to repent of that sin, you know, ask God, you know, confess it, and then receive God's forgiveness and receive God's righteousness. <laughs> Uh, when that happens. Yeah, the other thing about God's justice is that he requires accountability for wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he can't let that go is what causes wrongdoing. What causes wrongdoing is wrong being. Mm-hmm. It is what we are. Yeah, It's not just what we do. What we do is a result of what we are. Mm-hmm. And so if he doesn't deal with that, we continue being what we are. Mm-hmm. And so that's why sin increases. That, that ha- all of that has to be dealt with. And, of course, the atonement of Christ deals in forgiving what we've done, but then it goes on to deal with what we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's where holiness is involved with the cross uh, as well. So I think, I think a good summary of this is God is incredibly holy. And as we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see time after time after time where he has emphasized how his ways are so much higher than our ways. 
And, and instead of lowering his standards so that we could reach him, through Jesus on the cross, he elevates us up to his standard of holiness by placing Jesus' righteousness on us through the Spirit. And, and therefore, we can, can truthfully say we are holy because God has not only declared us with his words as holy, but he actually has put his holiness inside of us, which is kind of confusing because there's still sin in me that I'm dealing with. But it's, a, it's an amazing truth about me that God doesn't look down and, and say, well, I'm just going to ignore all of John's sin. But I am going to place the righteousness of Christ on him and see him that way so that we can boldly go into God's presence and not be afraid of his holiness like, like so many people for thousands of years were. Yeah, it, it's the fact that he has forgiven your sin in Christ. Everything you've ever committed or will commit has mm-hmm. been dealt with on the cross. He has imparted Christ's righteousness to you. That enables the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, mm-hmm. which brings you then into his presence. Mm-hmm. So we no longer wait for the high priest once a year to go in and go behind the Holy of Holies. We are there. Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever we want to take the time to go be with him. That's great. Thank you very much, Jerry. You're welcome.